0: You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I love. Said, return that I might live in my house.
1: And you know, let me also add that the descendants of Potiphar's wife are not all dead. They're in the world today. And there are those who also are seeking to seduce you, to get you into bed. And there are people probably in your sphere of influence and the company that you keep who are making seductive moves towards you, making advances towards
0: you. Do you ever feel like there is temptation to sin at every corner in your life? The hard news is that's how Satan works. He's never going to rest trying to get you to stumble to sin. Today in his message, Pastor Mike warns us of the temptation that's all around us, seeking to distract, or even worse, destroy us. But there is good news. Jesus has made a way for us to overcome our sin. He died on the cross so that you might be free. Give Him all your sin, and He will forgive you and give you new life. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 39 as he begins his message, Resisting Temptation.
1: We're in the book of Genesis in chapter 39 and the text that we're going to be treating this morning is found in verses 6 through 12. This is where we left off last time. And by the way, if you're here for the first time or you just want to catch up on the previous messages, all of the previous messages have been archived, just go to our website, harvestmyc.org, click on the online audio prompt and it'll take you to one place where not only our Sunday morning messages but also our Thursday evening messages, which is a part of our King of Kings series Studies in the Gospel of Matthew. All of those messages are archived. So it'll just, you can catch up on everything that we've been talking about leading up to this morning's message, this week's series of messages. Now, this morning's message, the title is Resisting Temptation. And I think that this is a pretty significant subject to be treating, of the utmost importance for us as Christians. But before we go ahead and read that text of scripture, let me set the stage for you. Let's review. Particularly for those of you who are here for the first time, or visiting, or haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, let's review some of the things that we've already been talking about. The events leading up to our text, we know that Jacob had 12 sons, which became the fathers, by the way, of the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of the youngest of the 12 was a fellow whose name was Joseph, who in the progression of our series here in the book of Genesis, our origin series... You know, when we were first introduced to Joseph, who's, again, a very significant character in the Bible, I mean, you think about it, just how significant was he? Well, no less than 14 chapters are devoted to this man's life, equal to that of Father Abraham. So it kind of gives you an idea of how significant, how important Joseph was in the scheme of things. Just think about that. Well, anyway, Joseph, we've already discovered, was favored by his father, Jacob. And thus he was the heir apparent, remember the coat of many colors, which represented Joseph's inheritance, which was given to him by his father Jacob. Now, this created a lot of tension between him and his brothers. They had become jealous, and a tremendous sibling rivalry arose, Now, one day, and we've already gone over this, and again, if you weren't here and you want to catch up, just go to our archive messages. One day, while his older brothers were out tending to their father's flocks, you can read about that in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis, they plotted Joseph's murder. But rather than killing him, and I'm leaving some of the details out, so you're going to have to go back and read it if you weren't here. But rather than killing him, they sold him to a group of Ishmaelites who were passing by on the way to Egypt to sell their goods. And so Joseph was carried away into Egypt and sold at the slave auction. We also discovered that he was bought by a man whose name was Potiphar, who happened to be one of the captains of Pharaoh's army. And while in there, as in, if you will, And Potiphar's employee, Joseph, was placed in charge of the various affairs of Potiphar's house. And Joseph was very loyal. He was very diligent. He was very honest and wise. And God was with Joseph. And Because God was with Joseph, everything that he put his hand to prospered. And thus that meant that everything in Potiphar's house prospered as well. He went from the slave block to later on, we're going to see, not this morning, but in one of our future studies. He first arrived in Egypt as a slave, but then through an unusual series of circumstances, become second only, sort of like the prime minister, if you will, of the nation, second only to the king, second only to Pharaoh. So rags to, what a story, rags to riches, surely. But anyway, because God was with Joseph, Everything that he put his hand to prospered. And Potiphar trusted Joseph implicitly. But a problem surfaced when Potiphar's wife became infatuated with Joseph and tried everything within her ability and capacities to seduce him. So, with that said, that sort of sets the stage for this morning's study. Picking up now in the latter part of verse 6, and this is where we left off last time, in chapter 39 and verse 6, And there we read, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Now, it's all according to what translation you happen to be reading out of. If you happen to be reading out of the King James Version, it says, and Joseph was a goodly person. That word goodly in the Hebrew can literally be translated handsome. So, Joseph was extremely handsome. He was the kind of guy, if you passed him on the street, girls, he would turn your head, for sure. And I'm sure if Joseph lived today, he would make the cover of People's Magazines, The Sexiest Man Alive in America. He would have been right up there with Brad Pitt, Ryan Reynolds. And so, picking up in our story now, Joseph was tempted, daily, regularly by Potiphar's wife who was seeking to seduce him. Now listen, let's bring this down to personal terms. Every one of us faces, in some form or another, each day, temptation. Isn't that true? It's true, right? Here, daily, Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph. And you can only imagine the things that she must have done as she was trying to entice him. Think about the provocative ways that she carried herself, the way that she dressed, the speech that she used, again, trying to seduce Joseph. Now, also, throw this into the mix. Remember, Joseph wasn't married. And at this particular time, Joseph was in his early 20s. And that meant that he was at the height of sexual maturity. And you know how the sexual drive within us, which, by the way, is... is, something that God has innately placed within each and every one of us, but it's a powerful drive only to be realized and that need to be fulfilled within the confines of the marriage relationship. But that sexual drive is a very powerful thing in a person's life. And thus I am certain that it wasn't an easy thing for Joseph to just ignore her actions day after day after day. I mean, how long? Put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a moment. How long would it have taken before you would have given in? And you know, let me also add that the descendants of Potiphar's wife are not all dead. They're in the world today. And there are those who also are seeking to seduce you, to get you into bed. And there are people probably in your sphere of influence and the company that you keep, who are making seductive moves towards you, making advances towards you. In fact, you may be even involved in a relationship right now with a Potiphar's wife. This is just between you and the Lord. But this may be happening. We don't know what's going on throughout the remainder of the week in your life, in your experience. You might even have allowed yourself to become emotionally involved with someone, the wrong kind of a relationship, with someone whose life is out of control, hey, listen, this message should serve up a warning for you. Don't be taken advantage of. And I specifically want to speak to the single girls today. Listen, guys are animals. Let me tell you something. (laughs) And they'll do and say anything that they can possibly do to get you into bed. It's true. It's absolutely true. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. You know, with them, it doesn't matter if you're married. It doesn't matter whether you go to church. In fact, that may even make you more desirable for them because that means that, well, if you're a Christian, they're not sleeping around. You know, there's always the possibility of catching some kind of a STD if you get involved in a sexual relationship with someone. But if you're a Christian, you've kept yourself, you know, pure, well, uh, so that may even be something that makes you even more desirable for an unbeliever. They're going to focus in here. And listen, I've heard, I mean, I've been a, I've been a Christian now for a while, and I've heard all of these crazy stories of guys, you know, hunting for women in the church. They have no concern whatsoever for the things of God, but they'll just go to church, and they're looking for women, and for that very reason, because these women are pure, and they're seeking to seduce them. So I want to just you know, speak to the women this morning. I ne- you need to be extremely careful about this. So we, I think that we can all relate to this incident in Joseph's life in one way or form or another. We are living in an immoral time, and the moral fiber of our society has rotted. Sexual promiscuity is no big deal. Virtue and virginity have been assigned to a past age. And to make matters worse, there are so many things around us deliberately designed to arouse our passions to excite us sexually. So we will, in fact, become a prey to sexual seduction. Think about all of the books. Think about all of the movies. Think about all of the advertisements. Pornography pervades our culture. Think about that. You know, speaking about pornography for a moment... There's an interesting passage of scripture. It's found in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse 20. I want you to think about this. And, And this relates to what had gone on. Remember during the time when God's people were moving through and into the land of promise, the land of Canaan? They came up against the Moabites. And remember Balak and Balaam the false prophet, Balak the king and Balaam the false prophet and stuff. And Balak was seeking to find a way that they could stop the onslaught of Israel as they were going through the land and conquering, as God was going before them and they were conquering all of the nations and and defeating all of the enemies and so anyway, Balak sought out Balaam and he wanted him to pronounce a curse upon Israel to stop them. And remember, God forbade him. By the way, all of this is recorded for us in the book of Numbers, chapter... I forget which, uh, chapter 25, I think it is. Chapter 25. So he counseled Balak. He says, Listen, this is what you need to do get all of your young Moabite women and go down into the camp of the Israelites, the young Israelite males, and show them these statues. And those statues were depicted all kinds of sexual positions and stuff. It's the most earliest form of pornography that there is. And it was used in their worship of the Moabite gods, but it was also used to inflame their lusts. So anyway, the women would go down, they'd knock on the, on the flap of the tents of these young Israelite men, and they'd say, Hi, you know, we're so-and-so, would you like for us to show you the way that we worship our gods? And then they would go in with these statues of uh, again depicting these different sexual positions, and, and this is the way that they worship. Now, with that in mind, Paul picks up on that in 1 Corinthians in chapter 10 and verse 20. He says, rather that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to have fellowship. So what what conclusion do we come to here? If you're messing around with pornography, do you realize that you're opening yourself up to demons? And the influence of demons? And that's why it's so powerful in people's lives. You know, talk to someone who's given themselves over to pornography, and they'll tell you how absolutely powerless they are to stop watching pornography. It's a very powerful influence. But why is it so powerful? Because it's demonic in nature. Hey, listen, man, if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. And so, again, we need to be extremely careful. This is just such a a part of our culture and our society today. But temptation also takes on other forms as well. For example, how about cheating in business? If you're going to make it, you know, you got to cheat. Everybody's cheating. Everybody's lying. You know, you got to get the deal done. And you'll do whatever you have to do to get the deal done. And there's always a rationale to cheat. There's always a rationale to lie, to steal. Like for example, my boss isn't paying me what I'm worth anyway, and so when his back is turned, I'm gonna rip the boss off, you know. There's always a rationale for these kinds of things. These are temptations that we face regularly. That's the point that I'm trying to make. So temptation assaults us. Folks, it assaults us in so many different ways every day. And we need, thus, to know how to resist temptation, to keep ourselves pure. I mean, the modern philosophy of the day declares that the mores determine in a society what is right and what is wrong, what is acceptable, and what is unacceptable behavior. That there is no real absolutes. It all depends upon the mores of a particular society. And so if the majority of the people in a given society begin to follow certain habits, then these habits are accepted culturally. They're right in that society. And the majority practice certain things, and thus it becomes acceptable and right. It's called relativism, right? There's no absolutes. And interestingly enough, just to validate this claim that I've just made, Frequently, as you're being seduced, someone comes along and tells you, hey, but everybody does it anyway. So I guess that makes it okay for you to do it. I mean, everybody does it, as though that makes it right. Listen, gang, as Christians, we are held to a higher standard. God is holding us to a higher standard. The Word of God holds us to a higher standard. We should hold ourselves to a higher standard. We have to stand against the current of our present age. You know, Noah, remember when we were first introduced to Noah back in our series here in the book of Genesis? Some great character studies, right? Over these last couple of months since we began our Genesis series, our studies, our origin series studies in the book of Genesis. Remember when we were first introduced to Noah back in Genesis chapter 6? What a great case in point. One man against the world. But think about how he was rewarded for making that stand, for you know, holding himself to a higher standard, God's standard. You know, he didn't go the way of everyone else. And think of the great reward that he reaped for making that stand for God. And what was true of Noah would also be true of you. And so anyway, getting back to Joseph, Joseph was experiencing a powerful temptation. And yet he was successful in resisting. Okay, so here's the question. What were the keys to his success? Five keys. So, what were the keys to Joseph's success? The first principle, the first thing, was Joseph was aware that someone was trusting him completely. Notice there in verse 8. Let's go back to chapter 39 and verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, who was seeking to seduce him, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. Now, Joseph was aware of the trust that Potiphar had given to Joseph, and thus he did not want to violate that trust. You know, listen, let me tell you something. I wasn't the perfect kid growing up. You know, I disappointed my mother and my father. I was a little crazy. I was the guy who was constantly getting thrown out of high school, you know. But anyway, that's a whole other Bible study. But you know what? My parents, when I was growing up, knowing that they put their trust in me, it kept me from all kinds of mischief and all kinds of trouble, right? Because I didn't want to hurt them. Why? Because I knew they loved me, and I knew that they had placed their trust in me. Listen, folks. There's someone else who has placed His trust in you, and that is God Himself. God has placed His trust in you. And your wife, or your husband, or your children, your mother and your father, who love you, have placed their trust in you as well. And listen, let me tell you something. As a pastor of this church, I expect everyone to obey God's Word, and walk with God, and do the right thing, and you know what, I've placed my trust in you as well. And I expect you to do the right thing. But even more importantly, God expects you to do the right thing. And so there was that sense within Joseph that someone was trusting him. Potiphar was trusting him. And he did not want to violate that trust. So that's the first thing that I wanted to draw your attention to. The first principle. God has placed his trust in you. The second key for Joseph's capacity to resist temptation was that he knew he was different from everybody else, from the rest of the world. Notice, go back to verse 9 again, as he's explaining his position to Potiphar's wife. He says, There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How can I, notice that, if you want to underline that, that would be good, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But notice that phrase, how can I? You see, Joseph knowing who he was. And who was he? He was someone who was called by God. Now put yourself in Joseph's position for a moment. It's exactly the same position. You've been called by God. You are a chosen person. You have special privileges of relationship with God. Thus, Should we violate those privileges? I don't think so. You know, maybe it would be okay for other people, but how can I? It might be okay for Joe Blow over here, but, but not me. It's true. We're no longer in bondage. We are a child of God. Others may go ahead and do those things, but I can't. How can I, born again of the Spirit of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. How in the world could I do these things? And so knowing who he was, that is Joseph, and having this relationship to God, it made such a thing that offered such pleasure. And I'm not going to stand before you and tell you that there's not pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season. That's what the Bible tells us. In my Father's house
0: there's a place for me in my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart. Here at In My Father's House, we're going through the book of Genesis, where the story of the beginning is told. God made light and said that it's good. God made plants and trees and said that it's good. God made animals on land and in the sea, and He said that it's good. And then God made man, and He said that it is very good. Creation didn't stop at the end of the sixth day. Creating is an inherent part of who God is and what He does. Look around you. What do you see? New plants, new trees, new animals, each one unique in how it grows. And God is still saying it is good. God is in the business of creating new people out of old ones, undoing the inherent brokenness. When you were born again, a new creation, God looked at you and said that you are very good. He has made you new and restored you to the place you were designed to fill. You've been listening to In My Father's House with Pastor Mike Venizio. This is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. We'd love to see you here. You can find all the information you need, including service times, on our website, HarvestNYC.org. That's HarvestNYC.org. If you're listening outside of Manhattan, we'd love to know that, too. Please send us a quick note at HarvestNYC at Verizon.net. That's harvestnyc at verizon.net. It's a great encouragement to Pastor Mike and the team at In My Father's House to hear where these messages are being listened to. We hope you'll come back and see us again, because there's no better place to be than In My Father's House.